You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hey, everyone. It's Krista Bontrager. I want to thank you for watching. And once again, I'm joined by my friend, the real Monique D. Mon Hi. Monique Dusan. Monique Dusan. Hello. And we are back with yet another video that we are going to comment on. We probably should start by encouraging people to check out the first video we did with Eric Mason, mm -hmm. uh, talking through his video and just trying to help people step through um, key ideas related to critical race theory yeah. and, and how it's coming into many evangelical churches. Yeah. So we're doing these videos to try to help equip and train people to be alert for some key words, key ideas. So we're going to be watching another video today. So why don't you do a little setup for us on what this video is? Well, this video is of a committee Uwan at the Sparrow Conference. It was a women's conference in Texas, I believe earlier this year, like in yeah, April. April. And um, she was asked to come and speak about reconciliation and unity within the body. The interview turns more critical race theory, and I'm not even sure that it turned it from the outset was basically a critical race theory um, primer. Yeah. And so people were offended. Some people walked out. There was a debacle after it. And I feel bad, I think, for both sides. Yeah. I, I just think that people didn't know what they were getting into. I think that terms were not defined accurately. And so it's one thing to go into a conference knowing, hey, I'm going to go in here about critical race theory. It's another thing to go into a conference thinking, hey, I'm going to hear about unity and reconciliation and then be given critical race theory. So, yeah. yeah. And I think, too, that our our point in doing this is not to we're not here to like, Let's call out Miss Zuan and no. and uh, we're not here to call her a heretic or anything. You know, she's a sister in the Lord. Studied at Westminster. Yeah, she went to Westminster. Like a legit education. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's done her homework. We just are taking a bit of a different stand and, and asking some questions related to the incorporation of critical race theory into the church. Yes. And that's specifically it for me. Like I've. Doesn't mean we're against racial reconciliation. No, no, oh, it, no. I mean, many good ideas that we'll go into in other videos um, in the past and in the future, but we're just going to comment on the critical race theory issue and just taking a, a different position on that than Ms. Wong. And the, the position of it in the church. Yes. Like, if the world wants to adopt this stance, by all means, whether I agree or disagree, but in the church, I don't believe that it's biblical. And I believe that the Lord would have a different way for um, promoting unity. Okay. Very good. All right. So we're going to start at the beginning here and we're going to watch the video and then we'll stop and start it a few, a few times and, and make some comments. And the reason we're playing the whole video is that we really want people to get the whole context. We, we could have just played excerpts, but it's such an important conversation. We want to try to deal as fairly as we can with her. So yeah. we're, we're going to watch the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Let's boot it up. Why don't you get us started? Because you're a public theologian, um, which for some of the ladies here might be a profession that they're not familiar with. Yeah. So you can tell us, tell us what that means and how you got into that line of work. It's a fancy way of saying I do all the things. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kind of. Not really. But um, <laughs> uh, I would say I got into, I became a public theologian in some ways by 
force and okay. by faith. Okay. <laughs> you know how God sometimes puts you in a corner? That's kind of what I, that's how I describe okay. it in some ways. Uh, you know, I went to Westminster Theological Seminary, did a four-year uh, program there uh, in the MDiv program. And uh, after graduation, I thought I'd get a regular job because that's what I did before yeah. seminary. I, you know, did the whole corporate thing. And so I just thought I'd come out and maybe do a, some sort of ministry job of some sort. Um, but that's not what happened. The Lord did not open up a traditional door for me uh, of employment. And so I started having opportunities. Well, I, well, I started writing um, for, uh, well, what was known as the RAND Network then, but now it's The Witness. And uh, some of my writings, I guess people started, you know, picking up some of my writing would ask me to speak you know, or invite me to speak at a conference. And so started speaking at conferences maybe in 2015 or so. And so here and there, like more speaking engagements came and a job never came, like a regular job never came. I was like, is this what we doing, Lord? And so <laughs> let me know what's, what's happening, you know? And so in some ways, so I just ended up kind of doing that. And so then I would get contacted by reporters um, about my insights about just different polit political issues or uh, issues happening in the church within America. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there's Truth Table podcast where I do a lot of, you know, where we speak about theology and culture and race and gender and all of those things. And so, so it's really doing um, theology in the public. So talking about God, making sense of things that are happening in the world um, and, and, and giving a, a Christian response or a Christian perspective on certain things, particularly my, my public theolo theology and my ministry focuses on anti-black racism, white supremacy, um, and all of those very difficult and hard things. So that's how I got into it. Okay, can it. you stop it for a second? Uh, I just want to say, like, I really actually like this definition. Maybe I'll call myself a public theologian, but you are a public theologian. You know, I, I've never heard this term. I don't know public. if she made it work, made it up. I don't know, but I like what she's doing. I mean, I like in general what she's trying to do, and it really resonates with me. Um, and what we try to do on our show, all the things, is to take things that are happening in the culture and commenting on them from a historic Christian standpoint. Yeah. And, bringing theology to bear. Cause I truly believe that our view of God ought to come to bear on everything that we think about and talking about culturally relevant con um, topics, you know, from a Christian standpoint. And who I, doesn't want to, you know, be anti-racist and yeah. anti-white supremacy. Right. I it's, mean, there's but, so, but the anti-racist is this particular term that we'll get into. The definitions. Yeah. That's the thing. It's a technical like, term. So is white supremacy, yeah. you know, and how you define that. Like, but, are you talking about the KKK? Because yeah. if you're against the KKK, I say, amen, people. <laughs> yes, yes. But um, but it's it, I, yeah. there's so much of what she says there that just resonates mm -hmm. with me as well. And I think, you know, that I share many of those those values and, and how I see myself mm -hmm. as, as a theologian. So, OK, let's go on. Mm -hmm. um, helping us think about the deep things of God and how they intersect in all different areas of right. life. Um, you mentioned some of your work, um, talking about anti-black racism and uh, white supremacy. Has that always been a conversation that you have been interested in being a part of, or is that something that you kind of grew into? Yeah. Um, ever since I was a child, honestly, I've always been uh, very much conscious about my, my race um, and my I identity as a a black woman, because um, I grew up in a very black household and a very African household. So uh, my parents, specifically Nigerian, I know y'all up in here. 
Yes, I know my people, they up in here. <laughs> so I know, we everywhere. And so, um, but, and so, so my parents, I, I have a bit of a unique upbringing in that my parents always raised, my parents came here in the early 70s, but they always raised me with a consciousness of our understanding that I'm deeply connected to black Americans. And they never made um, a, a distinction between us as Nigerians and black Americans. They were like, because they're our cousins because of slavery. And so they always made that very clear for us because the reality is that we have relatives, you know, that were um, in the slave trade as well. And so even though we're, we're both African-American, we're both black, but we enter into the history differently, right? So I'm not a descendant, you know, of an African slave, but I have relatives, you know, in it. And so they always made that connection for me. And so in some ways I always move through the world understanding um, the, 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 the forces allied against us as black people not only just in America, but also um, in the global context because white supremacy is a global project. And so my parents had to contend with not only um, uh, the transatlantic slave, but tr slave trade, but also colonialism. So you have those twin evils um, that were, uh, that, that Africans on a whole had to, act, West Africans particularly had to deal with. And so, I, so I, I've always been conscious of that. Um, and growing up in California, which is not as progressive as people like to think. Um, it's actually quite a racist state. Uh, that was something that I always experienced. I think about the words of Zora Neale Hurston that says, I feel most colored when I'm thrown against a sharp white background. And I can say that, that that has been my experience, especially going to school or going to church, you know, growing up in those spaces. But then I grew up with black folks, you know, because black folks lived in our neighborhood because racial segregation and redlining and all of those, all of those things, you know, so I lived in and moved into the, both of those spaces, but I was always made to feel different, right, when I was in predominantly white spaces. So I was very, very much aware um, of my blackness. Um, I've been black all my life and, uh, and have, I was raised to be <laughs> proud to be black, you know, um, and so it was always something I was pushing back against. You know, my parents, I, I read Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye, I read Malcolm X, they had that on in their bookshelves in the house. And so it's something that I've, I've always just, I've never, I don't remember a time that I was not, you know. And I can see times and moments where I've grown in it, but that's always been a part of my um, existence and upbringing. Okay, I think so let's what stop I hear there for you. a second. Okay, so a few things I think we should clarify and, and I, I'm hoping that our black viewers will, will have forbearance with Grace. us, <laughs> Grace. Yes, uh, with us is is maybe I ask some very basic and pedantic questions. Um, I, I'm not sure that um, most white people understand that there's a difference in um, people who are African mm -hmm. and people who are African American. Yes, our tendency is to just collapse all together, all that uh -huh. together, mm -hmm. and. So she's making the point that she comes from a Nigerian family, Nigerian parents who were immigrants. Mm -hmm. And so she is a little confusing to me whether she qualifies herself as an African-American because she is an American. She is of African descent. But my understanding of the technical term of an African-American is somebody who's from a slave descent. So I'm a little confused about how she's using that term but i think we may give it that status here okay in the states and say well 
she's or I am African-American because my lineage lies in Africa um, because of the slave trade. And yet I am American. But technically, you would be Dutch American. Right. You know, she is African-American. She was born in America. She has African roots. Right. But in her home, I'm pretty sure because her parents were, you know, from Nigeria that she grew up pretty culturally Nigerian. Yeah. And her name is Nigerian. Yeah. She has a blog post on her um, website talking all about her name and what it means and how meaningful it is Mm -hmm. to her. And that's, that's wonderful. I'm so glad she wrote that because it, gave me great insight into in into the meaningfulness of, yeah. of her name. So um, I think that it's just just to try to tease out those distinctions for people that she's she's Nigerian. She's very proud of her Nigerian heritage. So she would be like Nigerian American. American yeah. yeah. But from the continent yeah. of Africa. So African American. Yeah. yeah. Then she also makes this statement that racism is a global project. Um should we get into that? Like I was waiting. I haven't said anything yet. Okay. So I was like, oh, let all of this build. But racism being a global project or construct, I think she and we'll see later. She talks about race being um, made up, basically, and made up to be able to keep people in their place for like just layman straight out terms. Because when you look scientifically at race, there's only one there's the human race and because of what's the word stratification yeah yeah we i'm trying with my big words people um (laughs) as as humans moved from upper eastern africa and went throughout the rest of the world our needs changed and so some people who lived on the continent of Africa, where there was more sun, needed more melanin. Right. People who moved to other places may to not. To Northern need, Europe. Yeah. Didn't they, need as much. Or My, you know, my ancestors developed white skin over yeah. time because there was different needs. And, yes. And these are in science what we call microevolutionary changes. They're, they're tiny changes. They're also called adaptation. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about evolving like from another species, we're, no. we're both still humans. Yes. They're just tiny changes due to geographical pressure and adaptations. And so we're still humans at the end of the day. Um, but when we look under the hood of the genetics, the, the, the differences genetically between us are so Minute. Ne- negligible yeah. that there's really only one race. Mm-hmm. That's the human race. Yes. And so she's going to say in a few minutes here about, um, race being a social construct, that's what she means is is that, that stratification happens, differentiation between skin color happens where there's sort of a rating system that white people are more valued or more privileged, Mm -hmm. darker skinned people, as you move down the the scale are less valued, more disadvantaged. And that's what she means by racism. Yes. As a global project. Yes. And to some degree, I do agree with her. Like it, wherever I've been in the world, the darker you are, the less in some, yeah, in some areas, the less beautiful people would say like, oh, I have, she has, he has darker skin or, oh, I don't want to be that dark or, um, you know, like lighter skin is, is more beautiful people who um, are white have more wealth 
they have more opportunities and privilege and things like that than, you know, someone who would be of an African descent. Right. Or darker skin, like yeah. in, in India. India. Mm-hmm. Yeah. in the caste system. Yeah. So we just have to distinguish our terms of we're going to hear her use the phraseology race is a social cron- construct. What she's saying there is that humans are basically all universally the same, mm-hmm. but, but dividing people according to race or racism but, or that is, race was basically made people yes made up these terms and categories to be able to keep people in the place that they thought they belonged with white being on top and the darker like it just being categorically yeah. defined yeah and i mean i think that there is something to be said for this argument i mean even if you go back a hundred years in in just even in popular level books that was the wide perception mm-hmm. so um, that's not particularly unique to critical race theory. That's just more of a historical kind of fact yeah. that how it's been looked at. Okay, so let's let's keep going here. You, what to mm. me is really beautiful um, is just how your family instilled in you just a really strong cultural and racial identity yes. of who you were yeah. and Definitely. why it was beautiful and why it mattered. And so I think as we sure. engage in this conversation about racial harmony, to bring it back into scripture, the Lord has called us to be Second Corinthians mm-hmm. um, 5 ministers of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And I think in order for us to do that, there are some conversations that we have to engage in that might be hard for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in order to get to a good, healthy space, we have to go through those hard valleys of truth. And so I'm okay, talking about racial it. identity. I'm that sorry. might be a new word. But I, I, I can't let this pass. All right. Second Corinthians chapter five. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament, being ministers of reconciliation, that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. They are so equivocating that term. What it's talking about in the context of Second Corinthians five is reconciliation between a holy God and sinful humans. Mm-hmm. That's the ministry of reconciliation. But they, they take that word reconciliation and then import that into the race conversation. And now we're going to talk about racial issues and racial reconciliation. And I'm fine if we want to talk about race issues and race dividing the church. And those are some questions we can discuss. But I don't think that has anything to do with Second Corinthians chapter 5. Mm. A better passage would be like, Ephesians 2 and 3, um, which it was the theme of the conference anyways, which was Ephesians. So I don't know why they went there, but to, to 2 Corinthians 5, but there, there's an equivocation happening here. And I see this a lot in people who talk about racial reconciliation. This will just camp out on that word reconciliation and then import it into the modern controversy. That has nothing to do with what's happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I can't let that pass. The theologian in me just. Thank you very much. Because I was just like, hey, we're going to be reconciled. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah. uh, Good concept. Wrong Bible verse. Okay. Wrong text. Cut her off. Bring it back into scripture. The Lord has called us to be second Corinthians Mm -hmm. um, five ministers of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And I think in order for us to do that, there are some conversations that we have to engage in that might be hard for us. Mm -hmm. um, But I think in order to get to a good, healthy space, we have to go through those hard valleys of truth. And so I'm talking about racial identity. That might be a new word for some people here. So can you explain what racial identity means when you think about white women or women of color and why it's important that we know about it? Yeah, well, racial identity, um, just 
I guess you want to, in, in a fundamental sense, it's just kind of the way that we traverse through um, and, and figure out our identity with our interaction with different um, groups. So as a black woman, as a majority, for example, uh, who interacts with maybe the majority culture, which will be white culture, um, we begin to get a sense of our racial identity um, based on the way that we are treated, but the way that we're, we're received, you know, um, in, in spaces maybe that are majority white, um, vice versa, uh, uh, the majority group traverses between different stages, if you will, of their um, racial identity development. So there's like, for example, there's the pre-encounter stage. I don't want to get too technical, um, but there's a the pre-encounter stage where, um, say for as a black person, you have not come maybe into racial awareness. Um, so you have, have been, say you've been in majority white spaces. And so in some ways you've imbibed this sense in which um, your culture is not as valuable, right? You know, okay. As, or so hold on. The norm. It's not. Hold up. Okay. So what she's saying is that if, let's say, you were adopted, you're a black child or a black person, and you've been adopted by a white family and raised as a Dutch. black child in a white, white family. family. Okay. Yeah, because you can't be raised as a white child in a black in a white family because I'm black, <laughs> um, or because that child is black. That they are unaware of their black identity. That child. Yeah, that child would be unaware that they are black. As a black woman, I think that's nearly impossible. To be, is the kid not on a mirror? (laughs) Like, are we, I'm not sure. Have you not passed by a window with a reflection? Like, there are certain things that I just think, no. Um, We are aware that our skin color is darker. Now, will I, or that child, if that child grew up in, I don't know, some ritzy rich neighborhood do they have necessarily the same ex- poverty experiences as a kid who grew up in an inner city? Maybe not. But does that, do we have the right to say, well, you really don't know what it's like to be black sort because of like, you haven't experienced this? Sort of like Carlton on Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Like, like he Car- grew up bougie, black, living in the ritzy area. Was he a real black person? Yes. Okay. And and I also think that that's a term or that's something that that blacks, not just a Kimini Uwan, but that's how we would, you know, have like our rounds. And when you know, she ain't, she ain't she, really black. She ain't really black. She don't know, you know, but that's not true. Like, how do you wake up every day and not realize that your skin color is darker than the person who sits across the table from you? One, two, the this pre-encounter stage and her definition of culture to me means that in order for me to be black, my experience with culture must be this. So that culture then becomes stagnant. If I'm understanding what she's saying correctly or static, it, it, yeah, it's static. Fixed. Yes. It doesn't change. Yes. Okay. So yeah, not stagnant, but static. And so it's like, in order for me to fully adopt my blackness and understand my blackness, I have had to have an encounter or as some might say, become woke to the idea that I am black. 
And the only way that I can become woke to the idea that I am black is that under is by understanding that I am oppressed, that I am underprivileged, that all X, Y, and Z things must must happen and do happen to me. Okay. I take issue with that. I'm not sure that that's true. And I think I am questioning a lot because I used to believe as she did or as she does. And, but I'm, I'm just like, "Mm, you know what? I don't know that in order for me to identify as a black woman, I have to go through all of these experiences. And then if I don't have these experiences, then I am not black somehow not black or not in the culture enough, or I don't understand my identity, but my real identity as a black woman. I haven't awakened to who I truly am. No, that that's, that's just wrong. Like it's, I am aware of who I am as a black woman, whether I have had that necessary situation or not. And I also find it, um, off putting or I question, I won't even say off putting. I question who is the person or people that determine the, the situations that have to occur that I must experience and acknowledge in order for me to become a black woman or for me to become woke or have had my encounter stage for me to be like truly alert and alive to the idea that I'm black. So who decides that? Who decides that? Okay. I also um, so realized that, go ahead. I was just going to say, just to try to make sure I understand what mm-hmm. you're saying. So if this concept of culture, the way she seems to be defining it, is that it's, it's, it's a static idea of this is what black culture means. It, it has these beliefs these practices, these rhythms, um, these important holidays, these are the things. Don't take away Martin Luther King Day. I'm not even I'm not taking you. anything okay, away. Okay, thanks. That's I'm just trying to make sure I understand okay. over here. Just making sure. Just a neighborhood <laughs> <Okay>. white person. <laughs> we can't take away Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> so yeah. uh, these, this is kind of the static black culture. And if you don't hold to these same beliefs values sayings experiences if that doesn't become your identity then you're kind of outside that that system and you might not be actually a true black person you're walking around in the physical world with dark skin but you don't know who you are as as, do i have that sort of right yes and i want to refer back to the eric mason video because he made a comment similar to this about whites wanting to hire blacks who blacks wouldn't even hire because they are like Angled. white white on the inside but black only on the outside. Okay. That isn't that what is that? Like no, that that's not how biology so works to one. be a real and black person there is no who qualifies me to be a real black person it's not just your skin color it's a mindset it's a set of beliefs yeah it's a set of experiences so it's black skin color or dark skin color plus this this culture and if you don't have both of those then you're you're not really understanding who you are yes and i have had like my own conversations with people and you know have used that term and like i feel horrible now because i'm i'm having more realization of just how wrong that is and the fact that i'm even 
sitting on camera making a video about this, someone's going to be like, they, she didn't change her stripes. They, she not a real black gonna person. They're going to DM you. Yes. Someone <laughs> will hit me in the DM, you know, but also I think it's interesting that there is a, um, I think the, the host, I'm not, I don't remember her name now, but, um, She's like, there are hard conversations that need to happen, like hard valleys or something, hard valleys of truth. Yes. And that there is also like an education that needs to happen. But who is that education for? Is it just assume that this education must go out to whites? Who are the hard valleys of truth for? Yes. Yeah. And so she doesn't really specify. Is is that the white project in this conversation? I'm not sure, but I think that it'll unravel as as we go along. Okay. It's, it's not seen as a default, right? Um, and so you, um, in some ways, denigrate your own culture in order to assimilate, right? So that would be kind of like an example of like a pre-encounter stage. Um, and so that's, that's how we kind of end up coming into consciousness, right? And then something like Trayvon Martin. Again, it's assumed you know, um, that my culture is denigrated lynched, because I don't think or believe in the same values that she may have. And it's also assumed that this one culture belongs to all of us. All blacks. Yes. No matter where you live on the on the globe, because racism is a global project. Yes. Now, in fairness, I do think that she's talking about American. OK. Um, the American, like at the African-American. But it is in her context, assumed that all blacks have this. This is the culture that belongs to you. Because that was sort Not, of the setup at the beginning with our whole conversation about being Nigerian and African-Americans are their cousins. And mm-hmm. that certainly seems to be the context. Yeah. OK. So she's. Assuming that her definition of culture and her understanding of this, this issue is is sort of the truth. Yeah, that's the assertion. Yeah. Yeah. OK. by uh, George Zimmerman snaps us out of that. And we're like, wait a minute, hold up. You know, and then all of a sudden somebody has, there's a marker, there's a point in time where it's like, oh my goodness, like this person got killed because they are black simply because they're black. So then now they're entering into an encounter phase. You know, so you have, um, so we move through different st- stages based off of our interaction, whether they're the majority culture as white people, um, which would be white people, right? And then white people um, move into that, there's different stages with their interaction with minority groups, so say black people. Um, or Latinx, you know, or Latinx people, um, vice versa. So that's technically kind of what that racial um, identity development is. And but you mentioned Second Corinthians five, and I'm wondering when you say when you talk about reconciliation and having to face the ugly truths. I think in order to have a healthy racial identity development, I think we have to be truth honest about the truth of race, right? Um, and I think we can we can do this by looking at the gospel. So 2 Corinthians 5, uh, when I say verse 21, talks about, you know, how, of course, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, right, became sin on our behalf. Some translations will say sin offering, right, um, for us. And the reality is that, you know, we sing, you know, he looked past my faults or we say, or that's a, a nice little church saying, you know, he looked past my faults, but God did not look past our faults. Actually, he saw our faults, you know, um, he saw that we were enemies of the cross. He saw um, that we rightly deserved his wrath uh, because we turned from him, right? Um, we followed in the footsteps of our, uh, our, our first father, Adam, right? Um, and so, but he put, 
he saw our sins and he put our sins on Jesus. You know, that's what it means for him to become that sin offering. Not that he sinned, right? But he hung on that, that cross for us. He was separated from the Father on our behalf. And so he looked at the ugliness of that sin, put it on Jesus, looked away from Jesus, right? Which is why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Um, and then he died, buried. The scriptures say in Ephesians 4 that he ascended, or, you know, ascended into hell, okay. Or ascended into the lower depths, okay. We would say hell. Um, you know, and, then he wrote, and then he rose, right? Rose bodily um, as a brown-skinned Palestinian man, God-man. And it's enthroned as that right now. Very important that we understand that. So if we have to look at the truth of our sin. We have to face that because the gospel is offensive, right? And so those who come to faith in Christ, now we're new creations, right? And so but we're, we, we still have sin, right? Indwelling sin. The, that's why we're being sanctified, being renewed day by day, looking more and more like Jesus by God's grace. Um, but we have to, to face the reality of that. So analogically, implication of that is when it comes to race, we got to face the reality of what it is. And it's very ugly. So then when you ask me about racial identity, healthy racial identity development for, for white women and for people of color, well, it's not the same. You know, we're, we're not on the same place. These, far, these two, th they're not the same, you know. So when you're talking about healthy racial development for white women, the reality is that we have to understand that race is a social construct that was uh, organized around strife, around um, um, difference, racial stratification, you know, so that obviously white people are on top and then people of color, you know, on the bottom, blackness being on the very bottom, you know, so there's levels to this. And so we have to understand that race in and of itself, you know, is made up and is not something that we actually should really seek to redeem really. Our ethnicity though, is something that we do retain and we see that in Revelation okay, 7. Okay, let's stop here a second. First of all, let me comment on her description of the gospel as, you know, straight up standard Protestant theology and understanding of the gospel. That's great. Um, no quibble there. Um, my Orthodox friends would uh, take issue with some of the things that she said there, um, but overall, some, some good thoughts. Um, but then she, she kind of wraps that section of the gospel up by talking about Jesus being a brown-skinned Palestinian person. I, to my knowledge, Palestinian is even not even a term that was in the Bible. That's a modern political term. I'm sure there's some whole story as to why she chose to say that, but I don't know what that is. But um, why is she making such a big deal about Jesus having brown skin? Like, what's that about? My best guess and probably a personal guess as well, like from my point of view, is that what you see is a white Jesus. You what see, I see where? Well, when I look at pictures of Jesus, he's usually very pale skin, blue eyes, straight, wavy hair, um, just not what a person born in the Middle East would necessarily look like. Okay. And so what she is referring to is the images that are usually portrayed. Okay. Um, yeah. So he still, she's saying that he still has his brown skin or olive skin as, okay. um, or in brown eyes as someone who, 
would have been born in in the Middle East. Okay. Not necessarily, you know. So she's just wanting us to think in a racially accurate way Mm -hmm. about our savior. Yeah. So, and not have idolatrous images in our minds of him looking more white than, than he did or having blue eyes and Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Okay. That's cool. So she's like, Jesus rose in his bodily form um, as a, a brown skin, you know, Jew. Yeah. And I also wonder how closely impacted our humanity is with our glorified body. But that's just the whole question I have. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I mean, part of the the story arc of the incarnation or Jesus as the second person, the Trinity coming in the flesh. Um, That's what it means to incarnate is to come in the flesh. He's taking on a human. uh, He's come becoming a human, fully human. Um, But he's he's doing that to kind of condescend to our level mm-hmm. being born of a, of a earthly mother um, growing from a baby to a man. He condescends to us. And so the, there is a bit of a speculation that she's engaging in there about his earthly body. And, and then when he rose, well, she's, she's suggesting that well he, when he rose from the dead, he was still in his glorified state. He was still in his earthly body. There's just glorified earthly body. And he still maintained his ethnic features, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an interesting speculation, but she, she really teases that out and it becomes kind of a cornerstone of her whole theology of race mm-hmm. and ethnicity. So let's, let's keep continue? going. Yeah, yeah, let's keep, keep going. Let's continue. So can I keep talking? I feel like I'm am, am I talking too much? I'm sorry. Okay, so keep going. So in Revelation seven nine, we see that every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered around the throne. Right. So we see that beautiful glimpse of what we're going to see in the new heavens and the new earth. Right. And that worship that's happening even now. Um, and so, so we retain that. So that is good. But race in and of itself was always meant you know, to actually um, put differences, you know, between others. Um, and it's always meant to subjugate, right? Uh, in this case, obviously, I'm speaking as a black woman, so subjugate me <laughs> or subjugate us, you know, um, as black women. And with that comes, so, so ethnicity, let me explain what that is. So that's when there's a common group of people that have, they share, share common heritage, cultural heritage, common religion, common language, right? Um, um, and, and, and among other things, but those, those are like the core, of course, racial identity too, but, but at the core, common heritage, common language, ethnic. That's why the, the Revelation 79 talks about, you know, tongues, you know, tribes, nations. We hold on to that, like, you know? So that means by God's grace, when I make it to glory, I will remain as I am. Well, I'll be, I will have a new body. I don't know. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know what it's going to look like, but I will be... Uh, not even just Nigerian, right? Because Nigerian is a colonial tag, right? That was given to us, that name was given to us by colonists. So we, we probably won't retain that, but I will retain the fact that I'm an Abibio woman. That's my tribe. That I will be that. And I will have kinky hair and I will have a broad nose and I will have dark skin um, in the new heavens and the new earth. And we know that because our savior is embodied. Jesus Christ did not raise as a Amen. ghost, right? He's, you know, he is Amen. embodied right now. We live in an embodied faith. So when I'm talking about race and I talk about racial identity, 
really what we want to do is we want to hold on to what is actually in the scriptures, right? So race is not a category in the Bible. It did not exist, you know, because it's something that's not something that's going to be redeemed. You know, it was made, meant to hold power and hoard power. Um, so then when we talk about white identity, then we have to talk about what whiteness is. Well, the reality is that whiteness is rooted in plunder, in theft, in um, enslavering, right, enslavement of Africans, um, genocide of Native Americans. We're sitting on stolen land. If you're in America, we're, in, we're sitting on stolen land everywhere in America. This is the reality of land that was stolen from Native Americans. We have to recognize that and acknowledge that. So with, that is not, so, so it's, a, it's a power structure is what whiteness is. And so the, 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 the thing for white women, in this, women in here, to do is to, you have to divest from whiteness. You have to divest from whiteness. Because what happened was that your ancestors actually made a deliberate choice to rid themselves of their ethnic identity. And by doing so, they actually stripped Africans in America of their ethnic identity, right? So I can sit here and say, I will be a Bibio in the new heavens and new earth, but you, Elizabeth, can't yet say that. But in my sanctified imagination, I believe that God will give you and my, my sisters you know, according to the flesh, will be given their ethnic identities in the new heavens and new earth. I believe that. Right deep down in my core, I believe that. And I pray to that end. Because I, we have to understand something. Whiteness is, is wicked. It is wicked. It always means it's, it's rooted in violence. It's rooted in theft. It's rooted in plunder. Okay. It's rooted can, in power. Can, I'm sorry. I, I just this yes. is this has gone on quite a long time. Okay, yeah. I was just trying to make sure that people got the whole context of what she's saying because yeah. there's there's a, there's a lot of points here to unpack. But let's let's start with this issue of um, her interpretation of Revelation seven. Let's let's start with that. Okay. So she's she's. She's making this case, and we saw something very similar to this with Eric Mason, that when we go into the new heavens and the new earth, what they're arguing is that I'm not going to go in as an American. You're not going to come in as an African-American. You're going to come in as, well, not Haitian, because that's another slave-generated mm -hmm. uh, group i don't know do you even know what your original people were in africa your tribe you know whatever i don't let's just call them tribe x you mm -hmm. know that they were somewhere in western africa um that you're gonna go in as that i as a as a white person i'm gonna go in in my heritage which is really confusing because i'm half dutch and part german and part irish and so I don't know which of those the Lord's going to choose, but I'm going to go in as, let's just say, I'm going to go in as a Dutch person. You're going to go in as tribe X, whatever the African tribe that is. And that's how we're going to go into the new creation. Well, and I'm biracial, so. Yeah, I, that's it, even more confusing. I, <laughs> what are you and exactly? And what do you do, according to her theory, what do you do with people who are biracial? We're all bi, we're all well, yeah, but bi, I'm, something yes you know yeah 
I, even me as a white person, I, I come from like Irish culture is quite different than Dutch culture. Yes. I just I'm speaking to her assertion that she is an Abibio woman. Yeah. And so both of her parents link back to Nigerian and their parents and which works like for that. her. Yes. But how does this work for my friends or my nephews, let's say, who are half Hispanic and then half, half bi- black half and bi- biracial half yeah. my my brother and I are biracial so how does that work yeah and then she, she's going to go on to make a statement that the hard work that we have to do is go back in our lineage and get in touch with our ethnicity not our race because we're, we're which is a different question which we'll get to in a minute but we're supposed to get in touch with our ethnicity because that's how we're going into the new creation. Well, before we even get there. That's my understanding of yes, what she's saying. Yes. And we will. Yes. But I have I have something to say about the idea that she says we don't know what we will look like in our glorified bodies. We don't know. And I don't think the Bible said, and you can tell me, I mean, maybe the Bible tell me that I'm going to go in looking at, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But it doesn't it's not really clear. Um I would love it if my new body would allow me to eat cake and Twinkies all day. <laughs> pizza and, and ice cream. Pizza, yes. Hawaiian pizza and butter pecan ice cream all day. And stop. I wouldn't gain a pound. That would be a glorified body for me. But she says we don't know what we're going to look like. And then directly after that, she begins to declare what she will look like. Yeah. She will have black skin. She will have kinky hair. She will have a white nose. She will have... Uh, but we don't know what the glory, which one is it? Do we know or do we not know? And if we don't know, how then do we tie our ethnicity to our glorified body? One of the things that I am wondering, and this is because we, you and I had a conversation about this a while ago, is that, is it that the all tribes and tongues declaring um, the praises of the Lord, like in Revelation 7, is because it's showing that all tribes and and nations are now doing this and thus that's what it will be in heaven. Or is it proclaiming that the good news has now gone out and all tribes and tongues are now confirming Matthew 28, 28. 19. Yeah. That's my view of what those verses in revelation are saying, because it's repeated a couple of times in revelation. My understanding of it and my thought about it has always been, it is a fulfillment of Matthew 28, 19, that the great vision of John in the book of Revelation is that now the gospel has, has truly gone out to the end of the earth and that every representatives from every group on earth have now been penetrated with the gospel. And this seems to be the theme in the book of Acts. Even on Pentecost, you have all of these people there for the feast day, these Jews from all over the ancient world there for the feast day for Pentecost. And instantaneously the gospel goes out into all the world of that time um, almost overnight because these people are speaking all these languages. They're there in Jerusalem and the gospel goes out. And then we just continue to see that multiplication throughout the book of Acts that, that everything in the narrative of the new Testament is pushing us further and further, further out as the gospel penetrates the earth. And so that by the end vision of, and John's revelation is that it truly has gone out to everywhere. Now the people, the ancient people 
in scriptural times, they didn't know anything about the Native Americans or the Chinese or those people. They didn't, mm. they didn't it, that's not something that was in scripture. But I love the vague language in the vision of Revelation because it includes those people. Mm-hmm. And that it's basically what it's saying is the gospel has gone out. I think she's really building a lot on one verse. And that's troubling to me as a theologian. That's not how we do theology. But she, I commend her for trying to come up with a theology of race. But I'm not persuaded that her interpretation is going to win the day. It's a highly novel interpretation. That's never how the church has interpreted those verses. Um, and it's building a rather large superstructure on one verse. So kind of with the theology in hand, now let's talk about a very critical or important critical race theory term, Mm -hmm. which is whiteness. Mm -hmm. And she makes these statements that it's violent, that it's about pillaging and plunder. And I know though, the first time I saw this video, I was highly confused by these terms because I thought she was talking about white skin. Mm Mm-hmm. But she's actually, it's a technical term. Whiteness is a technical term in critical race theory. So maybe you can break that down for us. I do think that um, without clear definition, it's just it's confusing. a hot mess. And it this is, is the point in the talk where some people left. Yes. And, yes. And they were probably white people because they thought she what she was saying. Divest from your skin. Yeah, that all white people mm-hmm. are evil Mm -hmm. that all white people commit violence that all white people commit pillaging it's 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 very that's how it would have been heard i'm just gonna have to sit back (laughs) because (laughs) i i I thought about this a lot last night um you and i had a conversation about it a little bit last night um critical race theory would define whiteness as a system that holds to continually oppress. And so the pillage and plunder of people groups, um, oppression of people of color, white supremacy, those would be the things that fall under whiteness. I can, I would almost use white supremacy and whiteness interchangeably. In, so it's in a cultural it's a, system. It's a cultural system, but it's it's a, a it's cultural a system, system where, where that maintains that white people are right. White people are in power. White people um, think life is centered. Our conversations are centered. Thought is centered around whites. Does so, that make sense? yeah, I think it, and what I've learned from you is the months and months and months that it's taken to arrive at this moment. I mean, I think people need to understand, like, we didn't just roll out of bed to do this video. Yeah. No, no. no. This has been 14 months of hard conversations, forward progress, backward progress, difficulty, misunderstanding. I mean, when you start getting into critical race theory it is hard because what I've learned as a, the outsider in the equation is it is a whole vocabulary where terms you think mean this and they don't mean that at all. Mm-hmm. 
And then you spend half your life trying to figure out and, and discern what this, the way that they're using the term versus what you think it means. Yes. And so whiteness is not as necessarily a skin color. Yes. Whiteness is a system. And the, the way that they divide the world is you're in one of two buckets. You're either an oppressor or you're the oppressed. Yes. And the people in the oppressor bucket all have white skin. And the people in the oppressed bucket all have. Don't. They do not have white skin. Yes. They have brown Just or don't. black <laughs> skin. Yeah. It's don't. It's and, anything and every, else. Anything and else. And keep going. Sorry. Yeah. I, so I, then, well, when she's talking about whiteness, what she's talking about is that white people have kind of rigged the system so that they're always in control. They're always oppressing the people with brown or black skin. And that there's almost, there's almost no way for you to ever get yourself out of the bucket. You, you have to work really, really, really hard and do some certain things and think some certain ways to divest yourself of whiteness. Do I have so, that accurate? Pretty close? Pretty close. Okay. Um, I would say that it's important to understand that anyone can be affected by whiteness. Mm -hmm. As she was saying in that pre-encounter phase, I can be affected by whiteness because I haven't um, encountered my true identity. I don't, I'm still okay. living in a world where um, mentally I may centralize white thought or all my conversations may be around white issues. Um, I may not. So even this conversation might, white. it might be a reflection of whiteness. It is a reflection of whiteness, according to her definition. I just polluted her. <laughs> well, and, and even that would be, even saying that you polluted me uh -huh. would be a form of oppression and white dominance. Not that I could truly believe these things and think for myself. Okay. Which if you knew me and knew how stubborn I can be and how many thoughts I do have on my own, that would be something that I can't work. I can't say on. <laughs> you can't say on a Christian show. No, I can't. Um, <laughs> so, but um, this is fairly so complicated. It is. It is. And it always pits. And this is why I don't think that it's for the church because it always pits you against me. No matter what. You are always my oppressor and I am always the oppressed, you, you, the oppressed. I am always subjugated to you. And that is not what I believe Christ died for. I don't believe that's what I've been redeemed to just to only be seen as an oppressed person. Um, so and, and, and when you said the system of whiteness, that whites have it rigged, I don't even know that whites have it rigged. It goes back to the beginning, beginning and that the system was never geared for people of color. And so because it was never geared for us, there wasn't much changing that needed to be done, even though changes have occurred um, and ratifications have been made. The system is always in place. So now you, just by virtue of being white, benefit from the system, even though you may not be aware that you get a different tax break because your house at one time, not saying today, but your house at one time was in a specific zone that didn't allow people of color to live in it. 
you may not have been aware of that. You may have just gone to work and lived your, you know, life and done your thing. But what what she's saying is that every system, everything that's been instituted within America has been set up with the the person of color pitted under it and the person or, or the white person on top. So, okay. That's it's a lot. It's but, but it, because, because it, it's so universal. We, yes. People need to understand because I know that what's happening in many of our white viewers' minds right now is what the holy heck. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I mean, because they're thinking, look, I've never put on a KKK uniform. I've never burned any crosses. But this woman is telling me I'm a racist because the and defi- I'm so confused. So here's the definition of racism. Yes. 50 years ago, we used to think that racism would be you not letting me drink out of a water fountain or you not throwing me throwing water on me from your fire hose or something like that like those physical actions the term for racism and this goes back to terms and changing terms and understanding that critical race theory is a worldview racism is defined as prejudice plus power so anyone who so if I'm white, is, I'm automatically in power. You are automatically because I'm in, in the power. oppressor bucket. Yes. And so I'm automatically considered a racist by that definition because I'm in power, even though I'm just over here, like living my life, going to my job, buying groceries at the grocery store, mm-hmm. simply because of the definition of racism. Because many white people do not understand that that is the definition that's being used. They're using the more traditional definition of racism, which is more like acts of violence or and and or acts. equality of races or that but sort of thing. Then it was considered that you were racist if you act out on your prejudice. Right. So I have a prejudice against cameras. I don't like cameras, so I'm going to go and I'm going to break every camera I see. Oh. <laughs> you know except these yeah cameras. not these cameras um <laughs> not these cameras <laughs> no but that it was the acting out of your prejudice today we're not saying that or they're not saying that you have to even be consciously aware actually what they're saying is quite the the opposite is that your ignorance and your lack of awareness is what actually makes you racist and creates white spaces because you haven't given the forethought to consider someone else who is of a different race. Here's the thing though, that I think is so important for people to understand is that this is a, a, like you said a moment ago, a worldview and our friend Neil Shenvey was, is really one of the key people who's put this forth. Love him. Yeah. Go follow Neil Shinvey if you haven't yes, yet done that. Yes. So, but he's the one who's really him and his friend, Pat, so- Dr. And Pat Sawyer. Pat, yes. Dr. Pat. Hi, Dr. Pat. <laughs> They're the ones that are suggesting this is a worldview. And what we're doing then is this worldview, this, this construct framework, critical race theory has been around for decades. Yeah. But what's happened in the last five or less years is now it's zooming into evangelical churches and see, and it's, it's, I liken it to Ivy crawling on the side of your house. Like if you don't get that stuff tamed, it will take over. And it's, it's, it's not that this is a new idea, 
this is this is a, an idea that's been around. You learned this stuff 20 years ago at Biola. Mm-hmm. But what's happening now is that it's zooming into a, the local evangelical church near you. Yes. And that's why we're doing these videos, because we want people to to key into these terms, because a white person, a well-meaning white person sits in the pew and says, I want to be anti-racist. I don't want to be a racist. How do I get out of the oppressor bucket? Mm-hmm. And they're very confused because then the leadership in their church is saying, we got to get woke. We got to do woke things and have a woke group and social justice. And we're going to have racial reconciliation. And these are all kind of buzzwords for how we've imported this foreign theory, this worldly theory, this non-Christian construct. And now we're kind of adding it to the church, baptizing it with Jesus and, and bringing it in into our into our bible believing churches what you're suggesting is how can we as christians become leaders in the race conversation but just develop a distinctly christian way of doing it yes so totally fine if the world wants to go down the tube yes of critical race theory like that's cool but we know that they're it's in the world and it's non-Christian. What makes it confusing is when it comes into our churches. Yes, is when it comes into the church. And the problem is, is that we aren't. The church is not addressing this. Just because critical race theory isn't the way to do it does not mean that race shouldn't be talked about in the church. It doesn't mean that there aren't divisions in the church. It doesn't mean that there isn't injustice in the world. And we'll talk about all of those race. things yes. in the future. We have plans for other videos we're not going to, this isn't going to be an exhaustively complete no. conversation. And I, but that. I am highlighting that because I think the reason why critical race theory is so, is becoming so prevalent and allowed to come into the church is because no one else is stepping into that space to say, hey, hold on, I'm going to put up a block. Not, not today, Satan, not in my church. Instead, no one's doing that. And it's allowed for much room, wide open doors because people I don't want to be a racist. No one wants to be a racist, one. And two, people of color are saying, hey, we have issue with some of the things that are happening in our churches. Can we talk about this? You meet that need with the person who doesn't want to be a racist, but no one really sitting down and thinking biblically, how does this work? We just have gone to the world to say, hey, this is what they're doing. Let's bring this in. Yeah, as so well stated. And I think that what's important is um, we'll go into more theology in future videos, but I think that biblically speaking, we have to have a, a conversation at some point about unity mm-hmm. and how this critical race theory divides us even more. It doesn't actually bring the fruit that it promises. Because I sure don't want to be united with you if you're my oppressor. No, I just don't. I mean, it, it doesn't bring love us love you to bits, but no, the the fruit is toxic. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to get us where we want to go, which Christ says is that we may be one. It, there's, there's no um, desire to be one with somebody who thinks I'm a racist or thinks I'm an oppressor. And I can't imagine that you would want to be in fellowship with somebody that you perceive as an oppressor. It just divides the races even further apart, I think. Okay, so we've covered a lot. We're about halfway through the video, so let's pause it there. We're going to come back for a part two. Uh, People are going to have a lot to process and a lot to think about. Yeah. But this is a very important conversation, and we're really hoping that the videos will help 
um, provide understanding, but also begin to highlight um, what we see as some of the problems of bringing critical race theory into the church. Yeah. So um, let's, let's pause it right there. And we want to thank you for watching. And uh, we want to ask you to share this video. It's a very important message. We want to ask that you hit that share button and um, share it with people in your social media feeds. We also want to hear your feedback. We want to hear your questions. We want to hear your comments. Agree what you're or hearing. disagree. Yeah, you know, sure. that's fine. I I completely admit I at one time was completely into critical theory and critical race theory um, and have found, a, you know, that in my own personal belief, this is not something that should be in the church. I do not believe this is a biblical worldview, um, but you may. And I would love to dialogue with you about that. We would love to dialogue with you about that. And, and we're still and learning yeah, too. We're tons, st- learning tons. Lots of questions, lots of growing. We don't think that we have everything all figured out, but we are just trying to share some of our journey yeah. with, with people. So, And I also look forward to having more conversation because then we can get into and how do we have a more meaningful conversation? Yeah. How can we do better? Know? Yeah. 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 So I want to thank you for watching and just thank you for checking out the video. Again, hit that share button for us. Thank you and God bless.